So, thank you so much for sitting down and doing this. Thank you so much. It's always really <laughs> great to sit down and chat. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's been a while coming as well, hasn't <laughs> yeah, yeah, Definitely. Yeah. Long overdue. Sweet, sweet, sweet. Do you mind introducing yourself to the listeners at home so they know a bit more about yourself? Sure. Um, yeah. So, my name is uh, Spasiso Klaba, or uh-huh. Sibs for short. Um, uh-huh. And uh, basically, I run a company called Africa Cannabis Advisory Group. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically, we're a services provider specialized in the medical cannabis and in the industrial hemp industries. Mm-hmm. Um, we work with a, a broad range of industry stakeholders. So ultimately, our mission is to actually see the successful development of the cannabis industry on the African continent in a way that we can benefit from its um, medicinal value, um, its... Um, um, economic value mm. and its um, ability to help us industrialize in a more sustainable way. Mm, mm, mm. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Um, your background. Sure. Is not in Canada. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so I, um, I'm my, uh, my dad's from Eswatini. Mm-hmm. And my mom's from uh, Val here in Fernaching. Um and um, I studied business science at mm-hmm. the University of Cape Town, uh-huh. um, and was fortunate to get an opportunity to go work in investment banking in, mm-hmm. in London for about eight years. Um, Golden baby. <laughs> yeah. Golden massive. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. So aged quite a lot during yeah. those eight years. London will age you fucking quickly. Very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, saw an opportunity when cannabis started to become legal in certain parts of the world and sort of realized that Africa... Um, was firstly very far behind, mm-hmm. and secondly, um, actually had a lot of structural advantages in a mature cannabis industry that could have a lot of benefit for for its people. Mm. Um, so, yeah, quit my job after that and and moved from London back to South Africa to set up this business in yeah. two thousand and nineteen. So I've been doing this for um, um, for about two and a half years. I like that. I like the fact that you are an outlier. I have a lot of friends who are trying to go overseas now, whereas you jumped the gun before all of them. And I remember, like, first year out of varsity, speaking to uh, Diale and Melvin, and they're like, oh, no, Sibs is out. I'm like, where's Sibs? Like, oh, no, he's in London at Goldman. And I was like, oh, this shit's joined the nigga. This nigga's joined the Illuminati. You know what I, mean? I was like, okay, okay. So it's interesting that you've decided now, you know, you've now exploited... The resources of London, intellectual. You've intellectually colonized London. <laughs> now you're bringing the returns back to Africa. <laughs> fascinating, fascinating. Not a lot of kids do that, especially around your age. You find that they do the opposite at this mm. point. Now that's when they triple down. So fascinating, interesting. I think what's also really cool that a lot of people don't know about you, or I suppose the people who don't know you don't know anything about you, but the people who do know you also know that if you had said, you know, nine years ago, even 12 years ago, Sibs is working in cannabis, they would have been like, no. Nah. And I think there's a stigma associated with cannabis that, like, the only people who work in cannabis are, like, drug addicts and, like, you know, like, potheads. And I think there's been a very aggressive form of propaganda against um, marijuana from, like, a number of different sectors of society mm-hmm. that make it seem that as if marijuana is, like... Like, I remember, like, when we were in school, remember those people used to say it's a gateway drug? Yeah. <laughs> like, it's a gateway drug to lunch. That's what it's a gateway drug to. It's a gateway drug to having a good time, baby. 
But like, it's not a gateway drug to like other drugs. Yeah. Like, I've never met anyone in my natural life who did a whole bunch of weed and was like, yo, you know, we should do other drugs. No, what you do is you smoke a lot of weed and then you get like tired. Yeah. You know what I mean? And even that is a problem, which is smoking. Yeah. Right? It's yeah. Like, it's like, okay, okay, we're doing weed. And yeah. like, we have to smoke it. Yeah. And like, that speaks back to like the prohibition problem. Right? Exactly. Because like, I mean, in, in before we had this chat, I did some research into, you know, um, alcohol prohibition. Mm. And before, like, Prohibition, like, was one of the wildest things for American culture and American booze industry for a lot of different reasons. Mm. You know, for, from the booze industry perspective, there was a lot of innovation that happened post-Prohibition um, and pre-Prohibition and during mm. Prohibition. During Prohibition, i.e., like, higher concentrations of mm. alcohol, right? Mm. So it's like, it's like, people are like, oh, you're weird because you smoke weed, right? Or you <laughs> do CBD stuff, right? Yeah. But, like, me drinking 75% fruit alcohol is fine, you know what yeah. I mean? But, like, prohibition allows that to occur because exactly. it just becomes an economic argument, right? Mm. I'm a smuggler of booze. Mm. I'm smuggling beer. Beer has, like, I've smuggled 100 liters of beer. That 100 liters of beer is shit in relation to 100 liters of tequila. Because mm. 100 liters of tequila I can sell at a much higher um, bottle size mm. and, like, like, you know, units price per, per, per drink mm. than, like, a beer. So, of course, it makes more sense for me as a smuggler to choose tequila and hard mm. booze, right? And then that, of course, sets off, like, like a rampant drinking culture in America that is almost unchecked, mm. which is actually quite common amongst former British colonies. Have you noticed that? Yeah, big time. Like, like especially in the UK. Like, <laughs> oh, niggas drink in the UK. No, Yo! No, like, everywhere I go in London, whenever I'm there, and, like, I see friends, like, come to have a pint. Yeah. A pint, a pint, a pint. I'm like, how are you guys not all grossly overweight? You know <laughs> what I mean? True. And, like, <laughs> and like, the same with the States. Like, Americans love booze. Mm. You know? Australians love booze, mm. you know? Uh, Rhodesians love booze. Yeah. <laughs> Zimbabweans are a bit different, but Rhodesians <laughs> love booze. Yeah. And I think there's something, like, very toxic that was transported into the colonies from the British colony around drinking mm. when, like... I think I understand why people drink in the UK, mm. but I don't understand how why you would be doing that kind of drinking in a country like South Africa that doesn't have a lot of the issues that you'd have in the UK, mm. right? But then you go, oh, recreation, mm. and it's like, oh, so it's fine for me to get shit faced drunk and crash my car. Yeah, and smoking a spliff is like, ooh, yeah. You know what I mean? So like, it's always interesting to think about like that is something that informed our childhoods and our youth as like this awful thing when in actuality it was just like propaganda mm. you know what I mean and like even now that propaganda hasn't slowed down mm. and there's so much work that needs to be done in helping people understand the difference between different types of strains of marijuana mm. and like THC versus CBD and mm. so on and so forth and I imagine a lot of your work has to do with that right definitely mm. definitely so I mean how do you find that especially like as a young brown dude you know what I mean like mm. I find I know a lot of white people in the marijuana space right now um, but and I know like a handful of black guys but there's always like a certain amount of uh, negative um, PR from the black community and the white community to mm. some to you if you say you work in cannabis. Mm. So like, how has that been for you? Yeah, so I think it's I think it's very interesting because I think for me the first test was um, firstly the test of myself because I um, kind of stumbled across the cannabis industry mm. when um, I was doing my own sort of research on uh, agricultural uh, opportunities. I was meeting entrepreneurs, investors. Mm. Uh, and so forth uh, while I was in London. And then as I was building this network, um, 
people gave my details to, to other people and eventually I was starting to get a lot of reverse inquiries on people from Canada, different parts of the world, interested in the African cannabis industry. Mm. And immediately I'd be like, hey, that's not my space. Mm. That's, you've called the wrong person, mm. you know. Um, <clears throat> but after I got enough of these calls, I was like, hey, let me actually just do a bit of research to try to figure out, you know, what this whole um, industry is all about, what, you know, why all of these people are, you know, investing in the space and so forth. Um, just out of interest, actually, because for me, it was actually a no-go mm. so for professional, for work or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and I think over the course of a couple of months of research, I got completely blown away. Mm. Well, once I started to understand um, the science of the cannabis plant, how it interacts with the body, um, I started to sort of also understand the history of cannabis, how, you know, it was one of the first, if not the first, domesticated plant by human beings mm. uh, in East Asia, um, and how the uh, modernization and evolution of, of, of modern mankind was um, moved in parallel with the cannabis plant throughout the world. Mm. Everything from um, using the plant fiber to create textiles, uh, to, for build to create buildings, for ropes, for sails, um, you know, at, at that point in time, um, and then also understanding the fact that there was a huge climate component to cannabis. Um, you know, um, cannabis grown naturally outdoors uh, at scale actually has four times more um, uh, carbon di dioxide absorption factor than your average um, uh, plantation or your average vegetation. Um, and so, um, and it's got a very compelling abilities to um, improve the health of soil. In other words, yeah, 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 exactly. yeah. It can almost like I remember reading or watching a video the other day about like its ability to almost like recycle soil and like reinvest nitrogen into the soil or something like that. Exactly. So yeah. it's got the ability to absorb heavy metals, pesticides from yeah. soil. It's like mushrooms yeah. and cannabis. Exactly. Like the kings. Yeah. So soil that has been let's say overused for agricultural purposes or um, damaged from let's say mining activities and so forth, cannabis can actually improve that, that the soil, the health of that soil and make mm. it um, sort of workable again. And so once I started to see all these touch points, I was like, hang on, guys, this is, whatever I thought cannabis was. It's not this. It's, um, it's, it's um, in, in, a, in a mature world when it's fully integrated into society again, it's going to be an incredible, massive positive for society. Yeah, it's almost like, um, and I think, I, I think much more highly of marijuana and cannabis than I do of corn. But when you realize how much corn starch and corn is almost in everything that we eat, it's crazy. You stop and you go, "Wow, the modern world, the corn cannot exist." Exactly. And then, like, you stop and you think, it, it almost feels like imagine you were living in this like really boiling mansion, like your whole life, and people say you just can't go to this part of the house. And then, like, you get there and you're like, oh "My God!" But this is like twice the size of the house that we were living in. Mm. And that's what cannabis feels like to me. Whenever like I hear arguments against it, it's mm. like I, I used to be like, "Okay, cool, this is just a recreational drug," mm. you know. And then I stopped and I was like, "What the fuck? Like, this is insane! <laughs> exactly. Like, why is this like wildly powerful thing? Like, exactly, policed. Also, like, it's in the name, weed, motherfucker. Like, <laughs> like this shit can exactly. grow without any kind of like assistance. Exactly. Right? So, like, trying to police that is the most absurd idea ever. Yeah. And like, what? Like, 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 like. As much as I want to talk about like uh, marijuana and cannabis, I'm fascinated by it." PR and mm. propaganda in this regard mm. because like 
you are someone who works in marijuana. Mm. You didn't even think about getting into marijuana as a consequence of this incredible PR and propaganda campaign mm. that happened. And now you've seen the light, of course, and you mm. know the truth. But prior to that, like, there's so many other people who don't see the truth, mm. right? And, like, exactly. I see it with my, my dad's generation a lot. Like, my dad's got, like, a friend who used to be a complete nightmare and, like, used to have really bad back pain. And then he started taking THC oil to, like, help with the pain. And, like, now he's, like, super relaxed. Incredible. And it's like, of course, he's not relaxed as a consequence of, you know, smoking or taking THC drops. He's relaxed as a consequence of not having back pain. Mm. But the facilitation of that back pain is THC. Exactly. And... This poor man, you know, was in pain for like 10, 15 years before this, but like no one ever offered him that opportunity. Mm. And like, that's why, like, for me, I get very excited by cannabis mm. because it's got a real zero to one like feel to it. You know mm. what I mean? When you consider that, like, uh, this is very famous cannabis research firm that said that uh, the cannabis drinks market by the year 2025 will be a billion dollar market, mm. and by the year 2035 will be at like 100 to 10 billion dollar market. Mm. Makes you stop and think, well, like, imagine a world without booze. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, one, a lot of us wouldn't be alive because, mm. you know, <laughs> it's the love drug for a reason. But then, two, like, there's just a lot of things that wouldn't be as vibey or as fun or as nice, you know what I mean? And, like, imagine what would happen to the sports industry if you took away alcohol, mm. right? So then the question then becomes then, and this is the question for you that I want to ask, is what, are, what, is, the, what is the soccer or rugby to marijuana that what is the second rugby to beer that will be the sports or the activity to marijuana do you think okay it's it's a very interesting question um just before i go into that um yeah. i think the one really important um you know sort of aspect of cannabis to to unpack yeah. um is uh, something you touched on earlier but the importance of the the process we're going to undergo now is mm. really being able to um, understand different strains, understand uh, the impact uh, that those strains will have, whether medical or uh, psychoactive, understand um, dosing, um, and, and sort of being able to calibrate people's experience um, based on data that, that can have a desired end outcome. So one of the biggest pro challenges with, with cannabis in, in, uh, globally, the reason why it's so many uh, you know, people have got an apprehension to cannabis is because um, often they'll have some kind of a nightmare story, whether it's their own or someone mm -hmm. they know. Or it's an, so an like, horror story, yeah. Yeah, so someone will say, yeah, I tried it once and I remember, I didn't know who I was, uh, you know, I was scared, I was paranoid. And they, there's all these stories that then that person will go back and say, I'll never touch it. And if you, and anyone in my circle, never touch this thing. But what's going to happen in future, and the, the cannabis drinks market is a good reflection of this, and, and we're seeing a big, a huge increase in, in cannabis beverages in the U.S., but what um, these beverage companies are doing is that they're mimicking the, the um, cannabis experience with the alcohol experience. So in other words, um, being able to modulate your experience. So if you have a beer, you, you, there's a certain expectation about how you're going to feel. How buzzed. How buzzed you're going to yeah. feel. If you have two, if you have three... Um, you know, there's an expectation about how you're gonna, it's going to impact you. And you can mm. actually make decisions based on the fact that you know what the feeling is going to be. Mm. Um, and then alcohol also has a very quick onset and offset. So, you know, if you have five beers now um, and then don't have anything, in about two hours you start to get sober and four or five hours you, you maybe you're a, bit, a lot better. Mm. So the, what the, the cannabis companies are doing now is that they're creating very low 
percentage THCs in their um, uh, beverages. Also, um, um, reconfiguring the molecular structure of the drink to have a quick onset and quick offset, exactly like alcohol, okay. so that people can actually have an, an element of control. They and can and they can have yeah. a pint. <laughs> exactly, and they know exactly yeah. what's, what's going on. So that's going to happen across medicinal cannabis, adult use cannabis. Um, and it's the same thing with, with medicinal cannabis. You get people that, um, uh, and I've met a lot of people with you know, stage four terminal cancer, um, they've used cannabis and the cancer disappears. Mm. They can't explain it properly. Their doctors definitely can't explain it. But it, somehow there's something that happens with the way they've taken it, the way they've dosed it, and the cancer is gone. There's certain instances where someone else might try okay, cannabis. Okay, but pause, 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 pause. <laughs> let's let's yeah. back there. Yeah. Certain instances, exactly. right? Okay. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. So what I'm saying, so then, then you get instances where people try it and it prohibits the, the growth of the cancer cells, so it slows it down. Other times it doesn't work. Yeah. So they, there's, a, there's a, um, a wave of research that's going to help us understand the interaction of cannabis with the human body and as a result optimize its use for, for certain end, mm -hmm. you know, desired effects. Um, and I think that's going to be the big turning point in cannabis over the next 10, 10 years or so okay. um, that, uh, that will really uh, amplify its impact um, across, um, across medicine, across uh, recreational okay. as well. Okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, so what I like about your answer is that you gave me a very deep look into the kitchen of the restaurant. Mm. So now I know, you know, what kind of pan you're using, what kind of, yeah. you know, I, I, this is a very expensive restaurant, now, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. But I'm still not seeing the front of house mm. because, mm. I, and, I, and I want to touch on the recreational because mm. um, from a long-term perspective, I don't believe that whatever the, 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 the social and economic and commercial benefits of how cannabis will be, those aren't, I'm not up for debating those because those are quite scientifically like, specific right mm. what i'm more interested in is you would deny the opportunity to do anything in cannabis space as a consequence of propaganda mm. right so my question that's why i'm going to recreational first mm. so my question then is you know there are if there's if there's an empire there's always a resistance right so the empire was the people who were making the videos saying that you know if you smoke weed you'll like die mm. you know but then the resistance was like Cheech and Chong, you know? Yeah. It was like, it's not the day I was watching How High with Red Man. And yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I remember being a little kid thinking, yo, I want to smoke weed, boy. This thing looks great. Yeah. And I smoked weed and I was like, this isn't like How High. And I was like, this is, this is not like How High. Yeah. So, 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 so that's why, going back to my original question of what is the beer to rugby, or the, what is marijuana's beer to rugby, like um, social like factor that's going to help it become a lot more mainstream and a lot more consumed because the the, the economic and social and even human like longevity benefits mm. of marijuana becoming mainstream are massive in my mind because mm. when it comes down to it the more people who consume and spend money on marijuana the more you know um impetus will put on like entrepreneurs and yourself mm. to look at ways in which to exploit it further and look yeah. at how to stretch the utility of this miracle plant, mm. if that makes any sense. Mm. So, 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 so that's why I'm asking that specific question. Mm. It's like saying, what's going to be that that's going to kickstart this revolution? And, and look, it's, it's really like kickstarted mm. to some extent. But I'm like, I, 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 I watched the URC rugby final last night, mm. right? And guys are drinking beers. And like, the thing is, like, I don't like drinking beer because it makes you fat. But I try to drink, usually drink wine. But mm. it was good, right? I was like, I've got to have a beer because yeah. I've been indoctrinated for yeah. years and years to yeah. like 
beer and rugby are the yeah. same thing. So, like, what's that for weed? Or what's that for, like, cannabis beverages? That's going to, like, yeah. start the party. It's, it's a very good question. Um, and I think it's a bit of a complicated answer because if you take um, CBD, mm. um, you know, um, a compound in cannabis, there's already a lot of... Um, acceptance of CBD in, in sports, for, as an example. Yeah, and quite rapidly. Very rapidly. You think about it, right? Very rapidly. Because like, we're talking like five years ago, it wasn't even like debatable that exactly. you could have any CBD in your system. And now it's like sports people are actively endorsing CBD products. No, exactly. And Olympics doesn't test for CBD. Yeah. Um, all kinds of sports associations have said, look, this has, it's not psychoactive and it can help with anxiety, pain, inflammation, etc. So, you know, for example, I think there was a point where the Israeli rugby team had a cannabis company as a sponsor, yeah. just as, a, as an example. Um, you've got Brian Abana yeah. joining um, a, um, or being a brand ambassador for CBD company. There's another CBD company we work very closely with in the UK, mm. um, in the US called 7NRG, which is um, targeting NFL, uh, you know, American football, mm -hmm. and potentially soccer in future, etc. So there's, there's, that's one iteration of cannabis within, let's say, the sports world. But then there's an entire um, uh, movement um, around the use of THC in sports. Um, so I think one of the biggest, you know, sort of uh, shocks that I got when I started to really get immersed in, in the cannabis industry was how prevalent the use of uh, THC was for professional sports people. Mm, especially and, basketball players. Exactly. Yeah. And not necessarily just after the game to relax, but practice during the game. It's like, it's, it's prevalent. Like, people yeah. actually play completely high. <laughs> you know? and, and, and they'll have their best games. Yeah. Even, you know, the, one of um, the guys we work with in the US for 7NRG, the UK company, um, he was a college football athlete. Um, and he actually became famous because he didn't want to take opioids for pain management. And he said, guys, I'm just going to use cannabis. I mean, he didn't say that because you'd get kicked out, but he was using that in the background. But every time there was a test, internally, like within his team, people are like, dude, you're always failing these tests. You know that you cannot make the NFL. Because as soon as you, um, you know, get uh, selected, yeah. they're going to do tests and you're going to have THC in your system. And he's like, dude, I'm not going to go into conventional drugs and get hooked onto that my whole life. Yeah, yeah. So, that's, that's the hectic thing. As so well. that's the interesting thing. Yeah. So there's an application for THC in sports and, you know, which is why, which is the point I'm trying to make about when we start to understand things like dosing, because it might be a situation where a microdose is good for someone to play on sports because it just reduces the anxiety completely. And someone can play and, and be, you know, sort of focused and not yeah. get overwhelmed by a crowd. You know, for, um, it might be good for managing pain during a game, like, injury, like you know, tackles or whatever the oh. case is. So that's what I'm saying. It's a bit of a tricky one to answer because okay. there's so many different, ty different touch points. Yeah. Um, you know, for, for cannabis to kind of, let's say, be associated with, you know, let's say maybe a sport or an activity or whatever. Um, but I think what I will say is that there will definitely be a huge expansion of those touch points. Uh, you know, right now it's all about someone who wants to relax at home, eat, you know, whatever, sleep, uh, you know, just relax. That's kind of what cannabis has been associated with so far. But it's going to, um, it's going to, sort of mushroom into so many different uh, other areas okay so just to be clear and i think i understand what you're saying right now the reason there is no rugby to beer for alcohol for mar so rugby and beer to marijuana and x is because marijuana is almost like a lazy term 
because it, it comp compromises like com comprises of this entire galaxy of different um, products and things that can can happen, right? Exactly. So so it's like it's like <laughs> it's like it's like what's the alcohol to X? And it's like alcohol is something that gets used in like mining. It's something that gets used yeah, in like exactly. like construction. Like exactly. alcohol gets used in so many different ways. Exactly. One, but the most prominent way that we see it today is just through consumption. Exactly. But it's not to say that alcohol is just one thing. It's quite a dynamic product. Exactly. In the same way that marijuana is a dynamic product. Exactly. And it's the problem you. is that we don't acknowledge that because we immediately you know, say anyone who does weed is like a drug addict. Mm -hmm. Not realizing that there's so many other positives that come from it that can, you know, benefit someone. And we're still talking recreational usage. Exactly. We haven't touched on medical and we haven't touched on like industrial. Mm. Because like, I don't know, fuck this noise around like banning weed for like, you know, recreational purposes. That's like, I can, I can, I can argue that about you on that on Wednesday, right? Like, what I will not argue with you today is like the industrial benefits of marijuana, right? Exactly. Like, it's like, wait, wait, wait. There's no debate. Exactly. This is like, this is like, like, what? Are you joking? How can we not like be using this for industrial purposes? Exactly. You know? And I remember a few years ago, I met a dude who told me about a house in Lufthut that used hemp bricks to build this, like the mm. whole house. And then like he ended up running some weird trouble with the law or something. And I was like, but my gee, that's just a brick. Exactly. It's like, how could you arrest someone for a brick? Yeah. You know, like it's yeah. absurd. Yeah. When you think about it. And like in your work and the space that you're operating in right now, do you see a lot of interesting industrial usage or uses of um, the cannabis plant? Definitely. I so think, what are the like, more interesting ones that people don't know about? Yeah. So look, I think, um, so for hemp in and of itself, um, there's, I mean, I think over 50,000 uses of the plant. So you yeah. can almost make anything from hemp. Mm. Um, you separate the fiber from the herd, which is the, the fibers are the outer part and the herd is uh, the, the internal part. Mm. And, you know, the fiber can be used in uh, the textile industry, like woven and unwoven uh, textiles. Pause. The fiber is not the flowers. It's not. So this so is outside words, of the flowers. We're talking one company can make drinks and clothes. Exactly. exactly. And not even like the same plot isn't the same, like, no, the literal actual same plot. Exactly. Plant. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Educate me more, brother. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> I'm turning into a hotel because exactly. I'm excited about the Black Nation. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Okay. So, so the fibers you can, um, uh, uh, you can make um, clothing, you can um, make paper. Um, a paper is actually a very good example of the efficiency of hemp. A tree takes 10 years to grow, so whatever, you know. To get uh, and where's um, where's hemp can take twelve to sixteen weeks to grow mm. and and absorb significantly more CO two from the atmosphere. Mm. So you can actually make a paper that's um, carbon negative versus a tree that which is um, where there's a carbon um, um, okay. cost to that, if if you will. Pause. Let's take it to your Swatini. Let's yeah. take it back to the roots. Iklopo, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> lots of places in Northern KZN and close to Swaziland do a shit ton of farming for companies like Nampak and who's that other huge paper producer? Uh, Sapia. Sapia. Yeah. And I love driving through that area because it's so beautiful. Yeah. And it's all going to be destroyed because that's just paper trees, right? Exactly. And like that always breaks my heart because also like isn't the square meterage on timber so much higher? Like the amount of space you need for paper from trees is so much higher than paper the amount of space you need for from hemp, right? Exactly. And so, with hemp, so do you speak with like Nampak and these companies? So we're speaking with quite a few companies. Uh -huh. um, 
mainly on the textile side because uh-huh. I think there's a couple of um, players in South Africa that are really focused on um, creating a more sustainable localized supply chain. Um, but we speak to a number of companies, um, you know, some listed, etc., on on this process. But it is going to be it's going to be a journey. It's going to be a long. Firstly, it's the education component of people understanding the benefits. But do the economics make sense though? Um, the supply chain needs to be developed. So imagine a supply chain that doesn't exist. Any single point on the supply chain is in and of itself is doesn't make sense. So that's actually one of the big challenges with hemp is that we actually have to build a supply chain, ideally starting from the demand side. So ideally saying, okay, we want to, let's say, focus on hemp textiles um, and we want to, um, uh, we want to focus on, you know, converting 20% of our stock into hemp-based materials or, or blended with cotton or whatever, but ideally reducing the carbon footprint of our clothing. And then you have to start working your way back down the supply chain of saying, okay, what, what capex needs to go into place for the processing of the, of this, um, of the biomass to convert into the end product? Okay, then what, um, um, what quality of, of biomass or, or, or plant do we need to actually get there? So you have to actually kind of move backwards on the supply chain until until there's actually a Growing proper supply exactly okay, proper then, supply chain yeah but then my next question then would be then that like in that instance then those are the very different plants that you would grow for like human consumption yeah so there's, there's a there's, different uh, use case for it. exactly so there's different cult there's a trade off between different cultivars so for yeah. example if you're trying to grow for fiber um, you might need to sacrifice let's say flour or Correct. seed yeah, yeah, as yeah. an example. If you're trying to grow um, for herd, which is the inner part of the, the plant, for the construction industry, because that can actually be used to create, to your point, bricks and whatever, then there's a different cultivar where there'll be a compromise in terms of what you're trying to, to, to find. So the, the hemp opportunity is significant, but it's extremely complicated. And you see that in um, different parts of the world that have um, introduced hemp, and it hasn't... Um, it hasn't sort of skyrocketed and, and just kind of become this huge industry because of a lot of these teething issues. There's but a then lot of those dudes from like companies like the company that makes tweed in Canada. Mm, and like if you, I, was, I was reading something about the cannabis. So, so in Canada, they have this weird like um, state sponsored dispensaries almost. Mm, right? mm. And they've said that like since going live, like they've only had like six or four weeks where they haven't been completely slammed. Mm. So I'm saying like, okay. So I think uh, I think I answered my own question. So in other words, that's fine for the recreation. Exactly the flower. Okay. So, the so flower. in other words, you're fine in flowers. Yes, yeah, exactly. The demand is un- yeah, unquenchable, exactly. right? Exactly. The issue is that like those flowers aren't necessarily the same plant that you should be using for textiles. Exactly. You and can, but you shouldn't necessarily be. Exactly. And um, so if you grow for flower, usually that's a, a controlled environment, mm. green greenhouse, indoor. Um, much smaller volumes and quantities. Maybe you know, uh, five thousand meters squared is a good size for for that kind of business. But if you're doing hemp for industrial purposes, you should be growing on thousands of hectares. Mm. Um, you know, I think China is growing um, something like between one and two million hectares of hemp. That's industrial, you know, volumes and mm. scale and and so forth. So it's a different, it's a completely different hat because even if you take all the Let's say, let's say you take the flour, you process it into whatever, and then you take the rest of the plant and you want to use it for bricks or whatever the case is. You won't have any meaningful volume for building a house or 
you know what I mean? Okay, so you need that literal... Scale, yeah. And that scale is currently not available in South Africa as a consequence of our so th- policy. So right? this is the interesting part. Um, so South Africa has actually moved, made some good progress on that front. Yeah. Um, so I think just of maybe a month or two ago, South Africa started to issue commercial hemp uh, cultivation permits. Mm. Um, the applications opened in October last year, but now there's actually companies with permits to, to grow hemp for industrial purposes. Okay. Um, so we, we've taken that an important first step. Um, however, there's a lot of issues with how it's currently set up. Um, you know, number one is that the distinction between marijuana and hemp um, right now is um, uh, it's, it's, it's such that there's a very high risk of people in hemp um, having their crops destroyed because it's now got uh, it's now going to be classified as marijuana. So how that happens is that there's um, what the what the regulator said is that anything that is below zero point three percent THC mm-hmm. um, in uh, in a in a cannabis plant is considered agriculture. So that's your so anything less than zero point three percent THC. Yeah. So as long hemp. as yeah, is hemp. So that's agriculture. That's you know that's Department of Agriculture. That's in the fields, etc. Anything above that now starts to classify it as a controlled narcotic. Um, now, 0.3% um, THC, um, even 1% THC, it's not going to do anything to you whatsoever. Okay, so that's just way too low. It's way too low. So yeah. now there's a big risk, particularly with our climate, that a lot of these uh, uh, farmers growing hemp will actually have to have that uh, destroyed because it'll be, it, it's not, they're growing in a controlled substance and not an agricultural product. So one of the big challenges is that one of the big things we... Hey, guys. Um, we had a slight technical technical difficult, well, we had technical difficulties while recording the um, podcast, so um, we had to cut this section of the chat. But we do get back into it. Sorry about the. Uh... Cool. So we were talking about um, the 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 hemp industry in South Africa. Yeah, one percent. Okay, so yeah. just to be clear, you were saying that in South Africa, anything with a THC concentration of more than 0.3% is uh, considered uh, scheduled narcotics. Anything less is considered hemp. And the problem with that is that the gross majority of, as soon as our farmers grow like 10,000 square hectares of hemp, but then it's 0.4, they don't have to burn that and it's just not worth it because the cost of redoing that is gonna be a shit show. Exactly. Um, and then, so that's the first huge challenge. Um, the second one is that the permits are only for 50 hectares um, per, per permit. So that also... Um, it Doesn't kind of contradict the whole point then. Exactly. And that's where... It, that's where okay, it's wait, like, wait, wait, wait. So that's where things get challenging. Because from a farmer's perspective, this is almost going to be you know, good as a starting point to understand the plant, different cultivars, growing techniques. It's almost a little bit more R&D ish in feel yeah. you know even though it's commercial now but in order for the economics to make sense you need scale you need a very very significant scale but then how is because okay this this speaks back to a bigger theme that i've noticed in my life above all else which is it's almost like our state is dedicated to fumbling the bag you know what i mean it's like there's an obsession with fucking it up because like good news you can grow hemp Bad news, you can't grow enough of it to make it worth it. <laughs> and it's like, but surely 
How does this legislation get made then if it's so poorly informed? It's 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 a tricky one because I, for a long time, the cannabis industry had uh, you know very a lot of frustrations because uh, in South Africa because we did feel that the government wasn't absorbing what was being you know what the industry itself was uh, providing as feedback as insights and so forth. I think that has changed and improved. Um, so, for example, that 0.3% limit, um, we do have, you know, um, we are being told that that's been seriously looked at and there's a very good chance that's going to be adjusted in, in the very near future. Um, you know, the, um, the uh, so that's one example of some information being absorbed and hopefully some changes happening. Unfortunately, the, these, these um, feedback loops tend to take a long time. And How do you fix that? Because um, I feel like this is not a narrow, this is not a problem for Canada. This is a problem for South Africa. Look, I think you know it's 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 hard to say how how you how you fix that because um, exactly it's 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 pervasive in terms of you know how government operates and and so forth. And to be fair, it's not only South Africa. I mean, it's a lot of international uh, other governments that have regulations that yeah that that don't really make sense, etc. Other think, governments have execution that like works. Yeah, and we don't have execution that makes sense. We don't have feedback loops. Exactly, and other governments. You know, if, if Germany or the UK's got a regulation that doesn't make sense and the industry isn't growing, it's not the end of the world because unemployment is at five percent, ten percent, four percent. We're eating we, thirty-four. Yeah, we desperate. Yeah. So you know, from that perspective, we we ha we have a very different lived experience and a sense of urgency. So, um, how do you fix that? It's it's very very hard to say. But what I will say is that government has shifted gears definitely over the last year in terms of focus on this industry. Um, the presidency has, has recently hired sort of a, a head of cannabis policy. Um, really, really good guy, um, uh, Garth. You know, he's, he was instrumental in a lot of um, national uh, plans for the de uh, Department of Trade and Industry. He's not a, he's not a comrade as well. He's, he's not a cater. <laughs> no, I'm not too sure. I think he might have some some touch points from the past and the struggle and so forth. So okay. he actually might be a cater. But oh, he, no. but, the comrades no, but, always worry me. I get no, but he, but he, but he is a very very sharp guy, very focused, and so forth. So those and, and obviously the state of the nation. The president obviously outlined a vision of cannabis creating 130,000 jobs in South Africa. You know, we talked to a lot of uh, provincial governments, and I've I've actually been quite impressed um, with some of the provincial governments. The sense of urgency, focus on moving forward and on this industry. So, um, you know, um, it's 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 hard to say because it's a little bit of a black box in terms of government. But what I can say is that you know, over the last two and a half years, there's definitely been a change in gear over the last last year, um, and the hope is that you know that continues and we start to see. Um, um, you know, very concrete milestones and, and initiatives, uh, you know, moving from planning to reality for this industry to, to really materialize. Okay, let's circle back to why this is urgent, right? Um, we've got, like, rampant youth unemployment. Like, to the extent where... I read a crazy article the other day, but it was like, this is the first generation of students where I think it's a class of 08 or 09, I can't remember which one it was, but where more students have not had a job than had a job within that year. And I was like, what? How's that even possible? Yeah. What have you been doing for the last 10 years? Yeah. Then, you know? And I look at cannabis and I get excited because I'm like, this is an amazing industry. 
I think Cyril's a jackass for saying 130,000. I think that should be closer to a million, really, realistically speaking, if you look at the infinite capacity of this you know, plant. Mm. And there's so many opportunities in the value chain, as you've just discussed, just, just in like hemp for paper or mm. textiles, where you can really empower a lot of young, um, out-of-work, brown or black um, entrepreneurs. Mm. And if not entrepreneurs, then at least provide skills development, mm. right? And I look at that and I'm like, Guys, this is like the biggest economic opportunity we've had since 1994, mm. right? Like, if we can get this right, I don't want to go on record to say that we are, we have, we will be, we have some kind of like dramatic competitive advantage, but we do have a dramatic competitive <laughs> advantage, right? Exactly. Like, we have a lot of factors very much benefiting us mm. as opposed to a lot of our African um, neighbors. And we also just have the infrastructure manpower and know-how and coordination capacity, not mm. necessarily execution capacity, but coordination. And my question then is, how does this become a vehicle for youth employment there? Because, as I said, there's so many aspects in the value chain from like yeah. just working in a, you know, a marijuana shop, yeah. um, working as a person on a marijuana like facility, mm. working as a farmer, working as a processor, mm. uh, working in advertising to promote these products. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Like, there's so many jobs mm. that, like, are for an entire industry where we have no idea what the sky, the limits is. You mm. know what I mean? So it's like, how do we get that happening? Sure. So, I mean, I'll, I'll give just one example um, in terms of, um, I think, a, a, a shift in, in, in sort of approach that I think is important. Um, so a couple of weeks ago, I went to Australia um, to Australia. see some, yeah, yeah. Australia, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to see some, you know, kind of partners there, meet a whole lot of the players in the industry there. Um, you know, uh, we were fortunate, you know, to have, you know, met uh, cultivators, processors. So just for some background and context, Australia also has a legal cannabis uh, industry for medi- medical cannabis industry. Um, uh, they legalized in 2016, I think. Um, and when I got to Australia and started to meet all these different stakeholders, visiting facilities, pharmacies, etc., completely blown away because the industry in Australia, um, you know, firstly has around 120,000 uh, registered medical cannabis patients, um, which means that these are people that are ben- that are receiving the healthcare benefits of the plant, um, uh, all um, under licensing regimes, etc. Um, and it's adding about 10,000 patients a month. Um, Shit. So the TikTok numbers, damn. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. So what, what's happened in Australia is that they've structured their industry in such a way that firstly, number one, uh, people don't have to go to the illicit market uh, for um, cannabis for different medical conditions mm-hmm. and so forth. There's a legal way which you can get it. Uh, your doctor can advise you. The products are clean. They're safe, etc. Um Number two, there's a huge um, growth in investment in the sector. People are getting jobs working at cannabis facilities and pharmacies. Entrepreneurs have been uh, are helping to solve certain problems within their supply chain, mm. uh, etc. Investors are deploying capital. Um, and the other thing that's happening is that because Australia's got its own local um, cannabis market, they're starting to collect data and become smart and understand the plant better from a medical mm. perspective. So they now are, you know, starting to develop IP, starting to, you know, um, uh, be a much higher quality exporter because they are able to to configure products, etc. 
Um, and the industry is just growing um, like crazy there. And then when you, when you contrast that to South Africa's medical cannabis industry, um, we've got um, something like, based on discussions we've had with different um, players in the industry, something like 500 registered medical cannabis patients under something called Section 21. Yeah. Um, you know, we've got 58 cannabis licensed cultivators, um, but you get the license um, um, with the condition that it's for export only. So this is not for domestic consumption. It's not for South African patients to, to, to use, etc. Um, and the big difference between, let's say, South Africa's approach and Australia's approach really lies in um, the, um, the way that the Ministry of Health, the Department of Health, um, and the regulator have viewed cannabis. So um, in traditional uh, sort of healthcare frameworks, in order for a medicine to... Uh, to become accessible to the public, it has to have clinical data. You have to do testing, trials, um, human trials. Which we do not have a lack of capacity to do. We don't have a lack of capacity. We literally do. are like doing HIV. Uh, exactly. What's it called? Uh, vaccines. Right now at Paraguay. Exactly. We've got the, the, the infrastructure, the, you know, we've got the expertise, etc. But the view that Australia took was that, and, and you know, Australia's got a higher watermark and standard than us in terms of pharmaceuticals, regulations. They're just more stringent. But the view that they took is that, look, we, because the, 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 the research and validation of these drugs can, it can be a five, ten-year process because yeah. you, have to have, you have to prove that a particular compound or formulation treats a particular ailment. Um, and you can spend millions of dollars on that and, and the results might not be significant enough for the regulator to be happy. Mm. So Australia said that, look, from our perspective, we need you to prove safety and quality, make sure the product is, is clean. But on the efficacy side of things, we're going to have to work together in a practical framework where we can start to prove that over time. But we don't want to prohibit patients and their doctors if they say, guys, this patient needs this and they've tried X, Y, Z, didn't work. Um, and the doctor's got a level of confidence in it, here, I'll, you can, I, I'll give you a prescription for, for cannabis. And so Australia four or five years ago was exactly where South Africa was. They had legalized for about two years, three years, and I think they had, I don't know, 100 patients or some very insignificant number because the hurdles to actually access the medicine were really high because of this, this challenge. Um, so we almost need to then go uh, you know, to the drawing board, which is it's not an easy... Uh, uh, it's not an easy change in, in perception because it's the reason why most countries in, in the world haven't accepted and allowed medical cannabis to be used at a scale. It's because um, the building blocks of the, um, the healthcare industry is around clinical data. Mm. So, but that slight tweak can actually make, um, can ensure that consumer, uh, can ensure that patients have got access to safe and, 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 and clear and, and quality cannabis that, um, uh, you know that, that that with them and their doctor can be used for certain uh, ailments, but that's a that's a small tweak that we can do. Where over the next three, four, five years, South Africa can easily have over 100 or 200 thousand medical cannabis patients. Um, can have significant investment because the producers of that cannabis have got a, a market right, you know, in their home country instead of having to figure out how do I move cannabis into the Israeli market or the German market. Uh, and and so forth. So and local consumption, right? Is, yeah, yeah, yeah. So once you have once you once we can create a framework where patients can get access to 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 medical cannabis, 
we start to build expertise, we start to get data, that can actually help us become, develop an edge over a lot of other countries within the space. Um, so that's just one example of a, of, yeah. a, of, of a tweak that can make a massive difference. Correct. Um, which, yeah, which it's, it's not a straightforward path. Um, but, but if countries like Australia, Germany, and Israel that are, are significantly more advanced than us in terms of um, healthcare and, and, and pharmaceuticals, et cetera, can find a workaround, there's no reason why South Africa shouldn't. Yeah, but I mean, like, okay, so, so let me ask another question then. From your learned, like, um, in your learned opinion, at least, are you, where is the highest revenues in this, like, space? Where are they going to come from, right? Yeah. Um, so, so my mind is always recreation. Yeah. Because so, recreation comes with brand. So I think, I think it's um, industrial hemp in the long term because of its um, broad range of uses. But that, as I True. said, the supply chains have to be developed, etc. And you can't get that going in the next like year. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. There's um, recreational. Recreational. It's three weeks. No, it's eight weeks. Naturally, eight weeks. recreational naturally, I think is 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 can very quickly generate revenue, create jobs, etc. Um, Just the vats alone. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But but medicinal also has huge potential uh, job creation opportunities. Yeah. So yeah. the interesting yeah, yeah. thing with medicinal, which it's, I mean, because we're still so early in the, in the world, it's hard to envision, but there is a, a reality in three years or five years' time where um, cannabis can actually uh, replace certain opioids for pain management and chronic pain management. I don't think three to four years. I think that's like 12 to 18 months. You see, it can happen, yeah, it can happen like, very quickly. But what I'm saying is that what I'm saying is that you can go from a pay, you can go from 500 patients to half a million patients yeah. in five to seven years time where you then starting to say, look, chronic pain, um, these risk profiles, cannabis is equivalent to these opioids, but obviously cannabis has got the added benefit of not being addictive. Fucking addictive, yeah. yeah it's and, not going to ruin your life. And, and, yeah, and you know, you don't have 70,000 people a year like in the US dying from opioid overdoses. Mm. So There's not millions of homeless like potheads. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And I mean, they you, are, but they weren't potheads. They didn't smoke pots with homeless. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then you've got the applications of cannabis uh, for inflammation and induced medical conditions, mm. which is a huge portfolio. Yeah. So you could have a situation where um, traditional pharmaceutical drugs are convincingly being challenged by cannabis in South Africa. And if you have, if South Africa has, let's say, at, at a much lower uh, cost point. So South Africa, you know, in five to seven years has half a million medical cannabis patients. That's at the very low end, probably 20, 30,000 jobs in terms of the entire infrastructure, direct and indirect. Mm. Um, particularly if it's continuing to grow. So, so I think so I think medical cannabis actually has a huge um, you know sort of um, use case practical use case um, where there are people with you know suffering today yes. and there is something that can work and we have the ability to produce the product we just need to set the framework in order to to be able to actually execute on it okay but if I may yeah let's let's think about this like um Building, making a cake, or I don't yeah. know, just building anything. Right? Yeah. What gets me excited about recreational is that recreational doesn't require that much in the way of government investment 
and government intervention to get going. Because the recreational market's already in play. Yeah. And it's very lucrative. Yeah. As it is, right? Yeah. Okay. But it's very illegal yeah. as well. Right? Yeah. So, if I may, if you kickstart the, like, the taxation uh, acceleration yeah. through recreational, yeah. but with very, like, very limited uh, restrictions, but very, f- very specific restrictions. Yeah, right? yeah. So, limited in the sense that, like, you can't have anything over 15% THC, yeah. right? Okay. Yeah. And you can't sell more than, like, 20 grams at a pack, at a yeah. pop, right? Yeah. With the full knowledge that, of course, these are going to be broken. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. But, and like this is the big thing, yeah. the taxation that we're getting. Yeah. And that's what we're winning. Yeah. You see what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. So we say, okay, cool guys, 36 months, we're going to have an open platform for people to, you know, if you want to sell marijuana at your petrol station, it's like selling booze. You've got to apply for a license. Yeah. You get it, you can just sell, right? Yeah, yeah. Are you going to put the drug dealers out of business? No, yeah. you're not. Yeah. But you are going to empower a lot of people who are doing this who would like a bit more state security and like security in other ways, right? Yeah, yeah. And you also open up just lending facilities from banking. Yeah. You open up the venture capital space, et cetera, et cetera, right? Mm. And now, don't get me wrong. I think in the long run, yeah, the medical play will beat the recreational play, right? But the medical play has such huge infrastructure requirements yeah. that it's going to... Even, you said like in the next five to ten years, we can have half a million. And I go, we could also have like 5,000. Yeah, if the exactly. infrastructure doesn't come to the party, you see what I'm saying. <laughs> and I know way too many people. Mm. Like, oh, dude, man. Like, there was this, like my one friend. She um, had back surgery recently, and she was prescribed opioids. And I was like, you cannot take that shit. Mm. You cannot. And she was like, why? And I was like, because that shit's gonna fucking make you a bad like, yeah. like film at the Cannes Film Festival. Someone who took opioids and became a crack addict. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, it's gonna be bad. And then, like, we destroyed all the, op- the opioids. And, like, I spoke to someone who spoke to someone who, you know, connected her with someone in the legal medical marijuana space. Mm. But it took, like, fucking 16,000 hours, right? Mm. Whereas the guy who could have given her the illegal marijuana, you know, was just outside on the street, knobs. Exactly. You know? <laughs> like, exactly. That was it. Yeah. Exactly. Like, that was it, you know? Yeah. I'm not saying I did go see him, but I'm just saying that's yeah. how easy it is, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So, um, for me, then... My argument is always, let's kickstart the recreational game. Get it right, right? Then once that's right, whilst that's happening in parallel, you get the, the medical and the commercial aspects right. Mm. But the in- so yeah, so, 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 so my simple argument is you could have both of the mm. medical marijuana and the recreational marijuana. Mm. You don't need to necessarily fix all the legislation around medical marijuana. I mean, around recreational marijuana. You just have to create speed limits, mm. like a highway, right? Mm. So, Mina, I like to break the law mm. on my car, and I drive fast, right? Uh, and that means that I get a speeding ticket. But it doesn't mean I don't have a car. Mm. And that's the problem right now is we don't even have a car to start mm. off with. And my argument is like, guys, we need to generate a lot more activity in our fiscus and mm. a lot more activity in our economy, right? Mm. Okay? Yes, the guys who are going to be doing medical exporting into Germany and these international facilitated markets, there's a, there's a, there's a lane for them. Mm. The guys who are going to be doing medical research, there's a lane for them. The guys mm. who are going to be doing um, hemp, there's a lane for them. Clothing, there's a lane for them. But there needs to be a, the lane that can give us money this year mm. is recreational. Mm. You know what I mean? And it doesn't take that much work to design a very basic framework which says you can only sell marijuana of this levels of quantity and this quantities, blah, 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 blah. Mm. And you have to pay VAT on all these. And we mm. can tax you and go through your books to get that 
in the next 90 days up and running. Because mm. it's, it's like, you're not taking, you're not, you're not asking people who aren't doing this to do this. You're saying, mm. everyone who is doing this, we're going to make it illegal on Tropano overnight. Mm. You know what I mean? And on the recreational side, this is South Africa, right? I mean, literally, we spoke about this early, Swaziland, um, Iklopo, like those areas. Like, most of the mar recreational marijuana in the city comes from those areas, right? Mm. And what that comes with is that um, a lot of the dudes who end up selling this shit are just like gardeners. Mm. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like, I remember growing up thinking like, oh man, I can't wait to meet like a real hardcore drug dealer. The only drug dealer I've ever met in my time is a gardener. I've never met like a hardcore <laughs> drug dealer, you know what I mean? Yeah. Because I don't do hardcore drugs, but also just because like, it's just someone who's like, got to connect, mm. he's just trying to make an extra 30 rand on mm. like a five grand bag of weed, right? Mm. And I'm saying, well, like these gardener types, mm. fam, you can turn them into like entrepreneurs overnight. Mm. You can like start like marketing this shit and like, you know, and like the convenience factor, you know what I mean? becomes a huge selling point, right? Mm. So if I'm a guy and I go to F&B and I say, can I get a loan for a bike? Mm. And I can show them my marijuana sales. I can pay that shit off much worse than I can on... Uber Eats mm. or Miss Delivery, right? Spot and that on. starts creating economic activity. Spot you know? on. And I think I was speaking to Les about this, and he said the problem right now is that South Africa lost all of the momentum of 2010. We lost it so much. And now, like, there's a lot of things about our government I don't like, but the one thing I do like is that there is quite a strong focus on fiscal stimulation and debt reduction. A lot more energy is going to debt reduction and fiscal stimulation. But I'm like, Cyril, I'm listening to you talk to the people, and you're talking about Yes for Youth, and you're talking about marijuana. Why aren't you talking about Yes for Youth marijuana? Do you hear yeah. what I'm saying? Exactly. Like, speak to the people on the street who know this game. Yeah. And it's the youth. Yeah. And I'm just saying, there are at least 10,000 sub-25 entrepreneurs in this country we can empower mm. just by, like, easing the brakes or, like, creating a temporary... Call it 24 months, 36 months framework for marijuana. Mm. So, you know, for the next 24 months, up until the next election, this is what you can do with weed. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. And then, like, go for it. What's the absolute worst case scenario? Mm. Right? It's not like no one's going to turn into a Nyape boy because of weed. Mm. Right? And no one's going to be, like, accessing weed now who wasn't able to access it before. Mm. Right? Because at the end of the day, as I said, the guy on OBS yeah. is just there. Yeah. There's every single car guard in the country. You think car guards make money guarding cars? No. <laughs> They make money by selling shitty weed that comes from Swaziland <laughs> yeah. and they sell it for very low prices because that's the game that they play. Mm. And the state is unwilling to like empower these people. Mm. And I'm like, guys, like, I don't know, I don't have a grand strategy. And that's mm. your problem. Is mm. you keep on chasing these grand strategies, mm. you know, like a unified theory of everything. Mm. And I'm like, fuck that. Hundred thousand jobs. Cool. Just recreational weed. Mm. Then like let it like build on top of that. Mm. You see what I'm saying? Because yeah, like yeah, yeah. now Minna, I've got Sibs weed. And that's yeah. the strongest shit in Joburg while yeah. it bangs. And Sibs weed opens up a shop. Yeah. Now Sibs weed is making the weed and it's delivering the weed mm. and it's got a shop. Mm. And on Friday nights there's like slam poetry sessions. Mm. And like now all of a sudden slam poetry sessions become the rugby to like recreational mm. weed throughout the city, right? Because like you get high and go and listen to some slam poetry. Mm. And that in turn means waiters. That mm. in turn means like more slam poets can start making a living. That's what economic stimulation is. Exactly. Right? And for me, don't get me wrong, like everything you've told me about the medical game fucking blew my mind. I didn't know that. Um, especially around Australia. But, and the hemp, of course, like George fucking Washington went on record to say hemp is the shit. You yeah, know what I'm saying? Exactly. So if you can't trust G dubs, who can you trust? <laughs> yeah. But what I mean by that is that like for me it's like 
there's just like low-hanging fruit, mm. you know. And as an entrepreneur, I'm like, I don't want to get into cannabis. I know nothing about it. Mm. But the recreational, I know a lot about that because yeah. I know how to sell shit. I know yeah. how to sell a commodity. Yeah. And we're, we're like, speaking about Canada earlier, like you see in Canada, like the, 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 the small mom-and-pop operations just being killed by these massive conglomerates, mm. right? And South Africa doesn't have to have, has not have to have that same condition. Mm. We can have a lot of small micro, you know, brewers mm. popping up here and there. Yes, over time, it'll all consolidate into an SAP. Mm. That's fine. But, like, now is the time for craft beer. Let's mm. have the craft weed, you know, revolution that helps us, like, get to a better place. Because, as you said, like, everyone in the recreational space prior to, like, the green revolution was trying to essentially, like, I don't know, like, gasoline their brain. You know what I mean? Like, they were just trying to, like, fuck their own brains up, right? Whereas the, the, the problem with that is that, like, that's because you only have tequila. Mm, exactly. Where's the, like, sherry nyana? Just, like, yeah. just like an aperitivo, you know? Yeah. Like, just something, like, mild just to, like, take the buzz off, take the edge off. Yeah. Instead, it's just, like, no, like, you need to run into a wall at, like, 100 k's per hour. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, there's no, like, a light, light, light buzz. Yeah. That's just, like, my replacements to coffee or my replacements to we, um, to, to beer or helps get rid of the anxiety to play me play sport. Exactly. Because when you say the guys who play American football and weed, I'm like, how? <laughs> yeah, right? exactly. Because I'm smoking freight train weed, right? Yeah. <laughs> the weed I smoke is just so damn fucking strong that I'm like, I, can't, I can barely chew, let alone play American football. <laughs> but if you give me the... Castle light version of weed. Maybe my perspective has changed. Mm. Or even better, if you give me the castle light, 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 mm. that's just 2%, 1%, you know, mm. then maybe my perspective would change. But I think right now we just were stuck in this terrible, vicious cycle of the state trying to fix a problem by being the state and not by just kind of allowing us to be a bit more free, mm. you know, and like they're trying, right? Like we're seeing IPPs coming out, but like IPPs are good for the economy on the macro level, but not on the micro level, right? Mm. Because on the micro level, no one who's poor is ever going to get any benefit from an IPP. Mm. But on the recreational weed side, yeah, there's tons of people. Mm. There's tons. Mm. Because, like, like it's, it's a commodity. Mm. So if it's not someone in a subsistence farming capacity, it could be someone just, you know, buying from subsistence farmers at the market mm. to sell, you know, in fucking traffic, mm. you know? The guys are selling scapes in traffic. Why can't they sell weed in traffic? Mm. You know, so it always gets interesting. Speaking about that, like, what kind of scale would we have to see in South Africa to get the pricing down to what we see with tobacco? Is tobacco just an infinitely richer crop then? Um, so, I know nothing about these things, by the way. So it's it's a tricky one because, um, okay, so there's obviously the illicit market, which mm. me, which in the illicit market, you know you can get cannabis for, I don't know, five rand, ten rand. It's, it's, there's a price point for everyone. Yeah. In theory. And uh, in, in reality. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's, it's very much like uh, housing in India. Exactly. It's accessible. And like housing to... in Joburg. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Joburg's at leaps. Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. it's accessible to everyone at whatever price point. Everything from five rand to 200 rand a gram, mm. as mm. an example. Um, so I think, um, you know, the... It's, it's tricky to ascertain the volume just because there is a lot of volume already in the illicit market um, and products coming in and out of Swaziland, in and out of Lesotho, in and out of Zimbabwe. There's a lot of trade happening. Mm. Um, but, you know, I would, I would argue that uh, the price point actually is fairly competitive. Mm. 
you know, obviously it's consumed very different to tobacco, um, but but at current levels it is. But the question, the I think for me the bigger question is how do you price or how do you ensure that a legal recreational industry um, doesn't um, become uncompetitive because of taxes, regulations, etc. Whereas then, where then the yeah. the consumer will just say, dude, I'm just going to go illegal. Yeah. Uh, so the California has that problem. Exactly. Right? So California's got it. exactly that problem. So I think that's sort of one of the many sort of delicate um, things that the government has to think about when yeah. um, uh, introducing a framework for legal recreational cannabis. Um, because over-regulation like, uh, and, and over-taxation it's quite literally killing the legal cannabis industry mm. in, in California at the moment. Mm. Um, but then you also don't want to have it so unregulated that um, things like safety, uh, um, quality of product, um, etc. Isn't, um, um, isn't reliable. And so that's a level of vulnerability on the consumer, mm. uh, you know, as, as an example. So... Yeah, it's it's this very very delicate balancing act that has to be that has to be tilted just right and kind of calibrated for our socioeconomic reality. To to your point about you know the people growing cannabis now, selling cannabis. You know, you look at places like Ponderland where there's thousands of people who grow and sell cannabis, and that's their form of income. Mm. That's what they've known for, you know. Um, for decades. Yeah. And it's like um, they're selling like fucking like suitcase levels. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, all of those have, all of those elements have to be, have to be factored in. Um, but I do think, I do think there will, there is a, uh, there is a need for some level of regulation. Um, you know, um, I think they, they should be some, some form of licensing and it shouldn't be overly, difficult or cumbersome and it should be fairly uh, accessible but then more importantly it's the testing and the checking of the product making sure there isn't heavy metals microbials mm. things that are just not going to be good for 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 people to consume yeah um so yeah so those those elements are are, are going to be really really important um but you also want to set up the industry in in such a way that it can um, benefit from economies of scale as well. Yeah. Um, whether that's that's whether that's on the cultivation side or from uh, distribution, uh, etc. You almost you want to create a situation where cannabis can empower the Ponderland um, um, grower, mm -hmm. but at the same time, in ten years, uh, South Africa to have two or three or four cannabis powerhouses that that export to international yeah. markets, yeah. etc. So you wanna you want to almost have a um um the ability to create significant economic growth um and attract significant investment mm. in the industry while at the same time empowering ordinary um farmers and growers South Africans, to, yeah. to 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 commercialize their skills, their IP, um their knowledge in the sector, um and to be able to build wealth off that. So it's it's um it's creating these these this um, like ecosystem that can really optimize what what we can do as a country within the cannabis the cannabis industry, mm. um, and I will say that you know South Africa actually has got a, an incredible um, 
uh, international reputation in terms of cannabis for the illicit industry. Um, mm. You know, obviously there's famous strains like Durban Poison. Swaziland. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you've got, uh, um, you know, individuals like um, Arjuan, um, mm. the strain hunter, South African-born guy, but he's mm. one of the, the most famous people in cannabis for discovering different strains and be advocating for, for, for the legalization of cannabis. So there's, we, we, we definitely have something to offer the world. Mm. Um, it's just a it's just a question of you know you know the, it's just a, a question of how do we structure the industry to really make sure that it's broad based benefit. Can, um, I, can I challenge you on that one? Yeah. Is it less about how we structure the industry and more how we structure the feedback loops as we were talking about earlier? Yeah, that's a good because point. My thing is like I've got a relatively controversial hypothesis, which is all states and private. Um, enterprise relationships will, over time, result in the state being outmaneuvered by the private entity. Um, and the problem with that is that because the state sets a policy and then it goes home, whereas the private, you know, market is like looking at this 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 policy, it tests, it tests, it says, oh, gap, and then it just pumps all the energy into the gap. Yeah. So then the state comes back two years later and it's like, ah, they found a hole in the policy, and then yeah. like, it's, so so like, I think you're right, but I just think. It's less about the policy and more about a framework that's consistently updatable. Mm. Do you know what I'm saying? Because if you don't have a consistently updatable pro- uh, like policy, it's like it's just like BEE, mm. right? It's like BEE sounded great on paper when it first came out, but then it was like, oh great, now like 400 people are going to become multi-billionaires, mm. and everyone else in the country is going to suffer, mm. right? And then, but then like, <laughs> then like five years later, we're like, ah, we're going to fix it this time, and then like, great, 4,000 people become billionaires. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's like, ah, oh, we're going to fix it this time. We fixed it, I'm just telling you. And yeah. It's like, you, you're not seeing the problem. The problem isn't that BE is flawed. The problem is that your approach is mm. flawed. Because it doesn't matter what BE you set up. Mm. It's like, um, what is it? It's like the terrorist versus the, the army. Mm. Remember, every day the army doesn't have an attack is good. But a terrorist just has to be right once. Yeah. And that's the problem with these state private enterprise mm. organizations or like deals is like uh, we were talking about the uh, earlier, the break, the, 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 the pseudo legalization of weed in 2018, mm. when the Western Cape High Court upheld that ruling that you know, changed how much marijuana one could consume at home, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. That, that hasn't been updated. Mm. <laughs> and now we've just got like a wild proliferation of like. Um, marijuana entrepreneurs in the mm. recreational illegal side who are operating this very weird gray area mm. and are not getting taxed on their income. Exactly. Because, like, it's been four years and guys are still chilling with the same information. Exactly. You know, and I think, like, I don't know. I, I feel like there's certain fundamentals in life. You know, like, there's always going to be debit and credit in accounting. Mm. There's not really a third dimension of accounting that we know of. Mm. If you've got a third dimension of accounting, share. Um, <laughs> you know? But I think... South Africa needs to innovate in one place above all else in my mind, mm. which is in state feedback loops and state structures that are privately incentivized but socially uh, funded, mm. right? So in other words, I'm part of the Department of Marijuana. If we can see marijuana sales exceed 5 billion rand this year, everyone on this team gets a bonus. Mm. You see what I'm saying? But... The second aspect to that bonus is that, like, you also need to make sure that persecutions go down a bit as well. Mm. And, like, we also need to make sure that some third factor. Mm. So here's a perfect storm. 
I know you guys are going to fuck it somehow. You're going to, like, create some weird perverted incentive to make it kind of work mm. and then, like, turn around and get your bonuses. We know this. Mm. But what we're trying to do is catch you out in year three, not year one. Mm. Because we know in year one, we're going to come back and you're going to have done it and you're going to hit your targets and we're going to be like, okay, next year's targets are a bit different because you mm. cheated on this one aspect, right? Then by year three, we'll have a framework that's robust and dynamic enough to say that in year four, we will get... 100 billion rands of the sales of marijuana exports and, mm. in, and consumption and we'll empower X amount of farmers mm. and we'll do all these things and it'll be good. Mm. Because as I said, like, it's socialized funding but incent- privatized uh, incentives. Because mm. at the end of the day, like, I, I've interviewed people on my podcast alone where if we just put five of them and they're all South Africans in a room together in any department, you could see a 5% increase in efficiency, just mm. from a general skill set. But you, like me and like most other people, probably will never work in government. Mm. Because A, you're far too talented, one, and B, like, you know that government's some kind of like a death knell to your career. You know what I mean? So the state needs to find a way in which to, you know, find guys like you on a SIBS and say, I want you to work for me, but you're not going to work in the state. You're going to work in this third vehicle mm. it's the third dimension mm. not state not private there's a third dimension mm. socially funded privatized incentives mm. you know what I mean and the same can definitely. apply for infinite industries like the police definitely you know it's like because it's like the, the current system doesn't work mm. because it's like it's socially, socially funded and there's no incentives mm. in fact the incentives are socialized but they, the, the feedback loop is too long mm. right? so if you're a cop and you do a good job you benefit from living in a less crime free country but that's like going to take three years to keep Exactly. Going. But if you're a cop in Alex and you know that, Tina, as long as we hit certain targets this year, mm. everyone's going to Mauritius. My nigga, there will be no crime in Alex. <laughs> yes, there'll be a new crime, which is yeah. the cops yeah. will break people's legs who do crime. Yeah. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. Exactly. And the cops will kill drug dealers and get rid of them and become the new drug dealers. But then you're in two, we have to say, <laughs> okay, there's less crime in Alex, but now we need to also reduce the amount of violence in Alex. Yeah, exactly. So now, Year two, of course, the cops are not going to break people's legs now. Mm. They're just going to disappear people. <laughs> year three, <laughs> we're going to say, okay, no disappearing people, no breaking yeah. legs, and no crime. Yeah. And the cops go, okay, but how we do that? And it's like you have to invest in the community. Okay, and it's like, yeah. oh. But you see how we're, we're not solving the problem at once. Mm. We're just making, having a more dynamic defense system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there is no solution. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, mm. we're talking about youth un- unemployment. I don't, I don't think there is a solution. There's no silver bullet. Yeah, yeah. there's no silver bullet. And that's the problem mm. is everyone's like, Sarah, what's the silver bullet? Yeah. And it's like, leave this guy alone. Like, his silver <laughs> bullet is ESCOM. He needs to fix that. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone else, like, as soon as they've done that, you can, like, you know, tar and feather him in the street. Yeah. But until we finish that, like, let's focus on making sure that we get, the, like, a series of solutions interplaying mm. with one another that create economic activity. Mm, because if not, I, I, I see the, 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 the free market doing that for us, mm. but in very perverted ways, right? So, like, um, no one's fixing its problem education. So what happens? Caro. And Caro's fucked up. Like, Caro's super fucked up, right? No one's fixing crime. What happens? Fidelity, security. So that's why I'm saying, like, there needs to be an active approach towards this because mm. if not, you don't want fidelity, security to be bigger than the police. Mm. The police are problematic, but they're controllable. Mm. You know, like, you don't want someone with, like, a private army running this country because mm. what happens when he dies? Mm. Then his sons have, like, a civil war. Who's <laughs> the king? And it's like, oh, we've seen this. Yes, in the medieval times. Guys, this is why we have a state. Yeah. States are important and they're useful, yeah. you know. So, so, 
so, so, so yeah, that's one thing. If you're a young black kid in South Africa right now and you want to get into the Canada space, where would you suggest they like start or start looking? Mm. I think for me, it there's a lot of enthusiasm with with cannabis, but there's very little research. Okay. Like in depth research, you mm-hmm. know, um, everything from you know companies like Prohibition Partners, New Frontier Data. Mm. Um, Global Go Analytics, all of these companies with very good data out there. Mm-hmm. You just immerse yourself in that. Because, as I said, I think understanding the, the nuts and bolts of how this industry comes together mm-hmm. is fundamental. And in some ways, you know, we might be a bit... We, we have been slow to move forward as an industry, but that actually does give you a bit of time to immerse yourself in, uh, in this space. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a lot of publicly traded cannabis companies, yeah. financial reports, et cetera, where you can get an understanding, like, okay, this is how this company works, these are the dynamics, et cetera. Um, there's a lot of good content on YouTube um, in terms of looking at different cannabis facilities, industrial hemp, et cetera. So there's, there's a lot of knowledge out there. And I think that the obsession with understanding that knowledge, uh, with understanding the industry is the first, is the first uh, hurdle. Yeah. Um, there's also, there's also, um, there's also a lot of, um, misinformation actually about mm. cannabis as well. So as you immerse yourself more and more in the industry, you'll begin to From get both a, directions, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So sometimes some people are overly positive, some yeah. people are overly negative, but as you get to immerse yourself in the industry, you'll begin to get a sense of what's really, what makes sense, what's true, what, what's not. Um, and then I think that puts you in a very, very good position for, number one, thinking about, okay, what kind of cannabis company can I start, you know, based on my experience, mm. what I'm passionate about, et cetera. You know, the industry is going to be extremely broad. Um, you know, America, I think, has uh, created something like 130,000 cannabis jobs um, over the last couple of years. Mm. Um, and I think South Africa can go down a similar uh, path, but... These are jobs in retail, in property, in branding, in processing, in advertising, advertising yeah. pretty much almost anything that currently exists, there can be an, a, a cannabis play in, in that space. Mm. So I think firstly having that, that knowledge and understanding of the industry, meeting, talking to as many people as you can, um, it gives you a good sense of what the industry looks like and then you know, for example, if you want to start a business, then you can begin to back solve and say, okay, based on how I understand this industry, this is something that I think, you know, I'd love to start yeah. or get into. Um, or a career, you know. So that's the thing. Like, they, there's not a whole lot of cannabis jobs here today, which is part of the frustration, right? Yeah. In theory, yeah. we should be seeing cannabis job openings all over the place. Mm. Um, that'll be the, the signal that we're on the right track. Once you start to say, hey, we need, we need someone for a dispensary, we need someone at a pharmacy, we need someone at a cultivation company, we're a law firm looking for cannabis, you know, so that's when we know we're on the right path, but we're not there yet. Um, so then I think that's when you then also use that, that knowledge um, to sort of figure out, let's say, from your career path, whether it's mm. marketing or whatever, um, you know, how you, you can sort of do a deep dive within that particular area that you want to be in. Um, and then I think once things start to open up, you'll be 100 years ahead of everyone else um, who's tr- also trying to be in the, the center, et cetera. Yeah. Okay. But, um, you know, it's not the sexiest answer right now, but it's, it's where we are. And I think that's the frustration you feel when you go to Australia and 
you know, I remember we had a meeting with the, um, like the management team of a pharmacy. Um, one of the, the, you know, sort of, um, one of the largest dispensaries mm. uh, for dispensing pharmacies for cannabis in the country. We had to wait like an hour for the queue to die down. And I'm just like, dude, and I speak to the manager. He's like, every day we get in here at like maybe 6 a.m. Um, I don't breathe again until 7, 8 p.m. This because is that's that how fucking busy, drives me insane. That's yeah. how busy, that's how much the industry is growing. The same thing happens in Canada. Exactly. Like, all the time. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? Like, I've got friends who recently, like, moved to Germany. Yeah. And, like, they're like, yo, we have never raised venture capital this fast in our entire lives. Yeah. Like, like these guys in tech, black guys who've, like, struggled through the insanity of being black and taken South Africa. And I like, you're wasting your time. We gotta come to Germany. We yeah, are making money, exactly. right? And like, this is what like frustrates me and drives me to drink uh, or smoke, rather. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> is that like I'm sitting here and I'm like, guys, there's so much money already to be made. Exactly. I'm not talking about the new money. I'm not exactly. talking about like the 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 fifty year old topi who needs to be convinced that opioids are worse than you know weed. Exactly. I'm talking about like young bucks on the street. Are yeah. like ready and willing to drop serious money yeah. on drugs. Yeah. And some of those drugs just happen to be marijuana. Others are alcohol and others are like coffee. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Exactly. So like can we not sit here for a moment and like call one drug worse or better than the other when like the economic opportunity will benefit our fiscus in both ways. Exactly. There's no like there's not gonna be a nyope like situation from weed. You know exactly. I mean? Weed doesn't have that effect on human beings. Exactly. So so yeah. No, no, interesting, interesting. And, and like, I really hope that we do find a way to break through because mm. once we do, and once, like, you know, going back to our original rugby and beer argument, you know, once you can have rugby adverts yeah. during, uh, marijuana adverts during the rugby, that's when I'm like, okay, we're going somewhere interesting. Yeah. You know, yeah. like, now we're on the right path. Now, yeah, you know, yeah. But until then, it's just like, it's too, it's too constrained. It's too silly. It's too, you know, it's like we, we need more, like, you know, chutzpah. We need more, like, ambition and drive and um, vision. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, 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 and I suppose this goes back to my next question, which is, that was a good question to answer in relation to cannabis. But in the greater scheme of things, if you're a young person, 14 to 18, and you're looking at the world from your perspective, what do you think you would encourage them to study or to, to start researching? Because, like, uh, it can't be, like, marijuana, because, like, remember, you didn't study marijuana, you said finance. Yeah. <laughs> finance empowered you to dominate yeah. marijuana. But so, so like, what are, the, what, what are the core skills or studies or disciplines you think kids should be looking at right now to prepare themselves for a successful future in the world that we live in today? Um, for me, um, I'm, I, I'm really of the belief that there's a couple of, you know, sort of significant mega trends that are going to redefine society. Number one, technology. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, in this, uh, so basically, subjects like computer science, uh, engineering, mm. maths, um, I think will will be sufficiently flexible to build a career around. Even though the the types of jobs that um, are in the marketplace today are going to look extremely different. Yeah, yeah. So, because um, a front end dev in two thousand and seven is now an ML back end. Yeah, and the pay is dramatically different. Exactly. Skill set. Yeah. Exactly. So um, anyway, we there's that you know sort of skill set around the infrastructure, whether it's software, or hardware of the future. Mm-hmm. Um, I think is going to be 
is 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 just gonna allow it's gonna be there's gonna be an application somewhere. We we also still don't know exactly what the world's yeah, gonna look yeah, like yeah. in the future. But I think that's that's really important. And then number two, I think the the there's a couple of other areas. Number one, sorry, number two is um um there's a big mega trend um uh, which applies to medicine, um which applies to um um general wellness etc of moving into plant based whether that's food whether ah, that's medicine whether okay, that's, okay. so like this un, this like understanding the 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 that world you know um so botany biology okay, um, okay. Ke- even chemistry and so forth so basically developing a knowledge or skill set around um um the like nature plants yeah, uh, yeah. but from a scientific lens or from 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 a from a practical lens like Correct. agriculture etc um, I think that's another huge mega trend that's happening right now. Mm. Um, and cannabis falls is a subcategory of that much bigger um, trend. So I think that's that's um, also a potential, uh, significant potential. Then I think also there's going to be, in in my opinion, also a um, a need for uh, people that can understand other people and help them through mental, psychological. Challenges. Almost the first person to say that. A level of empathy. And I think there's going to be significant commercial value in that because I think we're living, we're going to be going into a more and more um, uh, kind of disconnected world from other people. Yeah, Yeah, alienated world. And so, you know, the ability to to understand um, how the mind works, how the brain works, how emotions work, um, and and be able to apply that in, in some shape or form to help other people, I think is going to become a... A, a huge focal area because I think mm-hmm. as we're seeing mental health, we, you know, we're sitting on a mental, a mental health, health crisis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> crisis. Yeah. yeah. So, so all of, I think that ability to really understand that and, and to play some kind of a meaningful role, I think is also going to be a very significant, um, significantly important function in the okay. future. Yeah. I think the one thing I would add to that is biology. Yeah. Very we were good talking point. earlier before we started the podcast, um, around like Web3 and uh, I think it's bullshit and my, the answer I wanted to give you there is that it's not that Web3 is bullshit but all the returns that people claim Web3 are going to capture will probably be captured in biotech and um, the very strange interface of biotechnology and botany um, like, and like how we can use technology to optimize um, plants, mm. animals and you know, things exactly. in a much more efficient manner I'm still developing this thesis, so yeah. you know I'm not going to drop the mixtape just yet. <laughs> but but I, I, I'm 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 extremely bullish on biology. Okay, yeah, and definitely. physics, biology and physics. I think physics you can study in any century definitely, in humanity. Yeah. But I think now, if I know what I know right now, I'd say to kids like you guys, like you need to get on this CRISPR shit. Sam. Yeah, you know exactly. Saying? Like that's that's the next Facebook. It's not it's definitely. not going to be a crypto thing. Definitely, the next Facebook is going to be. There's going to be a guy who's going to perfect some kind of like gene therapy that fixes like pimples and the guy's going to become a billionaire yeah exactly you know what I'm saying whatever like it's going to be tiny but it's going to start that wave and then the next wave is going to be the guy who figures out how to make you slightly purple exactly (laughs) because the thing about it is like yo Louis Vuitton's nice Dolce Gabbana's nice but my nigga, naturally pink hair yeah. is the ultimate flex. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> and if as, as you see luxury goods exploding in like popularity over time, my money is like it's not it's like it's not Gucci, my man. It's like 
some kind of skin pigmentation that as a consequence of CRISPR yeah. that like makes you look albino gangbani. Yeah. But we know it's like fifty thousand dollars yeah, per shot. Exactly, you know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> and that's the final flex. Yeah. That for me makes sense. One, but also to all the conditions are there. Mm. Like it's weird. People think it's crazy. People are hacking away at it. No one's really making any money, mm. and everyone's terrified of it. Mm. You're literally just describing homebrew club in the '60s. Yeah, it's true. Right, that's true. And like, there's a huge incumbent that can never be dislodged. IBM, big farmer. Exactly. And so you yeah. see all these conditions. I'm like, ah, guys, I've seen this movie before. Yeah, right? yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, cool. Just to wrap it up, um, sure. Five quick five questions. What's a really good book you read recently? Um, sure. Anything interesting? Um, there's been quite a few but uh-huh. I've recently read a book called Man's Search for Meaning Victor Frankl yeah my nigga oh yeah, man yeah, yeah, yeah. Frankl's no, a shit baby no, it's, re- it's, it's remarkable yeah yeah no, no, that helps remarkable. me as a teenager I went through some pretty awful depression yeah. and that saved my life in no days. man it's it's yeah. I, I don't post a lot but even on Twitter I had to put some some yeah. of the pages on there because no, no, like, no. guys this is literally going to save someone's life Correct. if they read this yeah. particularly on the unemployment thing yeah. I mean, obviously he was in a concentration camp and it's like yo that's the worst but he's like even in a concentration camp where we, it was designed for our death I was able to dig deep and carry on every single day. Yeah. So he, and then he talks about the same thing with unemployment. It's the hopelessness that kills you. Correct, yeah. It's like the hopelessness. Every yeah. single day you wake up. And then eventually your perception of reality is that you live in this box and there's nothing for you beyond that. Correct, yeah. And then that eventually is like, okay, dude, what's That's what point? pushes you over the edge. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, that's a great one. Are any books you read recently that didn't, you didn't enjoy but had a good, like, but did affect you? Um, sure, I'm trying to think. I've, I've enjoyed all of the books I've read recently. Okay, cool. Um, no, 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 so, not... like, Shoe Dog was mm-hmm. really good. Hey, Full um, Measy. Yeah. Full Might, baby. Yeah, 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 I know. Yeah. Really... Have you seen him in that HBO LA Lakers documentary? Yeah. It's, it's really interesting the way they, they portray him in that documentary. Okay. And, like, like it's what... a shock. No, it's a hustler. Oh, okay. Like, okay. contrast that guy. Like, he can't make, you know, like, he doesn't know what he's doing. And he, like, he offers like Magic Johnson some absurd deal, like 10,000 shares in Nike at 18 cents a share and a dollar on every shoe that he sells. That, that, if he had taken that, would have made him the wealthiest athlete in human history, by far. And like, everything was perfect. And like, that is a great understanding as to why they were so bullish on Michael Jordan. Because mm. there's one thing that Phil Knight had above everyone else in sports was vision. Because mm. he was like, guys, basketball is not going to be like, a 30 million strong like fan base basketball will be the most if not the most popular one of the most popular sports so Mm. when he made that first Jordan deal um, in relation to the amount of capital that they had it seems absurd then you stop and you go but Phil was a visionary yeah and even on such a young athlete Oh, I don't know. Because there's a lot of risk. I don't know. Jordan was crazy exactly it's like LeBron they offered LeBron a billion at 18 guys that's absurd until you see LeBron at 18 you go Okay, it's not that crazy. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like, like, it's like uh, who's this kid? Uh, Kamavinga for Real. Mm. Like, don't get me wrong. I think Mbappe is the, the, the multi-million dollar brand. Mm. But I would put a lot of money in Kamavinga to be like, have greater longevity than anyone in his generation. Mm. You know what I mean? So, so that's important. And that's always critical to see. Um, I'll give you 500 million rand dollars, actually. You've got six months to deploy. It has to be deployed in South Africa. I'm the state. I don't know what to do with this money. Where do you put it? The state. 
Yeah, so the state's like, okay. listen, Sid, we just found out we had $500 billion million lying around. We need to deploy it for the end of the year. Where would you throw it? Okay, so what I'd do is that um, I'd hire, I'd try to figure out a way to hire a Tesla and the engineers to come do fix our infrastructure. So I'd say, come here, guys, free reign. Look at everything. Look at our build. Look at our energy mix. Look at the IPP program. Let's get all of that uh, right over the next six months. Here's your, your, your um, um, fee for that, but also some of the execution fee. Because I think a lot so, of... So, so, so in other words, you, you're going to get a report at the end of this or you're going to get execution at the end of this? Uh, a report and execution. Some level of execution. Uh, interesting. And training. Interesting. So, that, so that now we can actually wow. sort, sort this out once and for all. Wow. And then we can be a net... That's a very adult response. <laughs> and, no, and then we can be a net energy of exporter to neighboring countries. Yeah, we, can have, yeah. uh, we can be transitioning into clean energy, but we'll have excess energy. So yeah. I think once we have that, particularly for border static. Ah, dude, then, then we can breathe easy on a lot of other issues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, on a lot of other issues. And if we've got capacity, then we can industrialize, yeah, you know. Yeah. So I think that's the, that's the big challenge, you know, uh, right now. If South Africa is a family, you suggest that South Africa needs to go to family therapy. Yeah, that's key. You know, because <laughs> South Africa is a family and it's not getting along. Yeah. And everyone's like, yeah, but if this person does this, we'll be fine. But yeah. it's like... Why don't we just start with a family therapy exactly, session? Exactly, yeah. Which is the toughest thing to do. No, it's hard. But it's also like the most valuable. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Fascinating. I never thought about that one. Yeah. Um, if people want to pitch you their marijuana cannabis ideas, where can the people on the streets find you? Oh, yeah. No, uh, so definitely on um, our website, which mm-hmm. is um, aca-g.com. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, or uh, email, uh, they can email me at sibusiso uh, at aca-g.com. Okay. And yeah, very, very happy to... to are you, to are you, on, are you on the socials? Um, yeah, uh, so Twitter at sibusiso. Uh, Perfect. Yeah. You got the first one? Yeah. Oh, wow! Oh, that's you Okay, cool. And then, uh, last question. You were a nightmare at varsity at school in terms of marks. You used to just show them plates. <laughs> Well, I remember, I remember, like in varsity, people would talk about like there were guys who could just absolutely destroy academics. Like <laughs> academics was GBV; <laughs> they were just destroying it. And I remember that. So, like when I saw you a come back from London, and then b go into cannabis, that for me was so important mm. for me, my relationship to you, because mm. that was the first time I was like. Oh wow, you're a real one. Mm. Because like, to be brilliant and leave UCT and go to Goldman and make a fortune. Don't get me wrong, that's fucking hard, right? Mm. I've got a lot of friends from Goldman that we both, you know, mutual mm. friends who either worked at Goldman or working there, mm. and they're brilliant. But to have the stones to go to Goldman, say, hey, this thing's nice, matter the actual future's back home, mm. and uh, and doing it on the back of, like, excessive amounts of propaganda about mm. anti-South Africa, you know, that's when I was like, oh, shit, this nigga's for real. Mm. Because everyone else would have allowed, you know, the market to tell them to sell, mm. i.e., like, double down on the UK, mm. give yourself a British wife, you know, mm. and support some shitty, like, second division team. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but you were like, guys, the arbitrage opportunity is ridiculous because mm. my skill set in South Africa means that I'm, I will dominate, like, no one's business. And you've carved out a niche that is extreme mm. because there are a lot of other guys in cannabis, but none of them with your background. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I really commend you. I really like, appreciate I, it. Like from a strategic perspective, yeah. and like from a high level, 
There are very few people that I genuinely, genuinely respect. Mm. But when like I saw that move from you, knowing you for as long as I've known you, and knowing what is capable with your qualifications and your skill set, to choose to a come back and then b to ch- chase cannabis, that was like, oh, you are actually a visionary. Like and like, my God, does South Africa need people like you like so much? I because, really appreciate. Yeah, no, the kind no, no. Words, no. Mate. This generation is far too focused on everything except vision. Mm. And the visions that we do have are of like more booties. Unless like <laughs> unless unless like unless like, you know, hundred million strong South Africa with two percent unemployment. Mm. And like it's so great to see A that you're back in the game and B you're doing it in such an important industry for this country and as I said, like you you're kind of working for the state already. Yeah, in right? some way. Yeah. It would just be great if the state could come through and say Sibs, I, we love what you're doing, we love what you're achieving, but we'll give you an extra X million rands if you can help us achieve, you know, outcome Y and outcome X, mm. and then keep that rolling. And I think if we do that, this country will finally be the utopia that yeah. I think people like you and I are dreaming of, you know. Mm. Oh, actually, okay, actual last question, sorry. Yeah, and yeah. this one is like, this, is what, this one I need to ask you, yeah. especially from as someone from Iswatini, and like, yeah. I promise it's the last question, I promise, promise, promise. I yeah. ask this to everyone. But like from your perspective, I really want to know it um, for a number of different reasons. But you know, I grew up learning IsiZulu as an oral language, and then later on in my life, I learned it as a written language. And the written script that it's in is in that Roman script, you know, like the T H, you know, that we use for mm. English. And I'm of the view that one of the quickest ways, well, the, from a long-term perspective, you know, like your Tesla solution, one of the great solutions for education in this country is we need to start teaching African languages in African writing scripts. Oh, wow. You see what I'm saying? So, like, I personally write once a week in Isipekwe. Oh, wow. Which is a Zulu writing script. Oh, that's So, you incredible. write Zulu, but instead of writing Ngia for an NGI, you write it with this very strange triangle-looking speech. I'll show it to you afterwards. Oh, no, that's incredible. And, man, it's fucking cool. It's I fucking cool imagine. because it was the first time in my entire life I actually started understanding the world through a Zulu lens. Sure. And understanding the world through a Zulu lens is the most exciting thing in the world because it's like that mansion we were talking about earlier where you get, um, you have 16 rooms and then you go into outside the house and turns out there's 16,000 rooms. Mm. That's what you see that did for me. That's incredible. You know what I'm saying? So like, Absolutely incredible. Do you think that would change education in this country if kids had to learn two scripts instead of one? Sure. I think, look, I think there's, there's no doubt that there's an element of um, uh, intellectual um, development that will happen. And also then going back to your roots, going back to culture mm. and appreciation of our mm. culture. It's the same thing like in China and Mandarin. Correct, you know? correct, yeah. Um, you know, my younger brother, he's spent a lot of time in China and he's... He's had to learn how to um, speak and write, hmm. but the um, but it's foundational in China. Everyone knows how to write in uh, in, in in Mandarin, speak Chinese, etc. Yeah. And then yes, English is an is an add-on, but it makes you there is that element of um, expanding your mind and also appreciating where you come from from yeah. from that perspective. Yeah, I think I think there's also just a dramatic uh, neural simulation exactly. uh, as a consequence of like developing that muscle memory. Exactly. To be able to eat two different writing scripts. Exactly. Fundamentally will change the way that your brain works. No, definitely. You know I mean? And I was speaking to Ndabente about this from Pineapple and he mm. was like like Pineapple like he'd be operating at a much higher level at this point. Mm. You know? And like for definitely. me personally as someone who's learned the Mandarin writing scripts and, and 
Mandarin as a writing language and then now I'm learning Speckler. Like, it's such a wild experience. The cognitive experience. It's like getting high almost. Because mm. your brain is like doing things that you're just not used exactly. to. You know what I mean? And like, yeah. I'll show you some stuff now. But when you read, when you try to read a sentence in Isipetla, it's like, it's like using, it's like, it's like overclocking your brain. It's like taking shrooms. Interesting. And it's so wonderful to just read something in Zulu that has no connection to Dude, the Western world. It's incredible. Do you know what I'm saying? And it was the first time that I actually went to like Zulu land in yeah. my brain. Yeah. Before that, I, what I was doing was doing a lot of translating or a lot of like problem solving of sounds and noises. Exactly. Whereas when I started doing these Tibetan exercises, I was like, holy shit. I'm not, like, there's no English, yeah, there's no there's English no tutor. There's no yeah. English tutor yeah. who's going to come there and, like, help me out. Exactly. It's just me and my intellect. Mm. And to access pure base intellect, mm. it's the same thing as, like, doing, like, really challenging math problems when you mm. haven't done this. You know? Like, it's, 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 it's painful, but it's also thrilling at the Exactly. Because you know I mean? exactly. you're not trying to reference anything. Almost. Exactly. You're just using your intellect. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah, like, I'm, I mean, I think next to your Tesla example... You know, like uh, Isipekla fashion brand could be one of the most impactful things. That's oh, that's up. remarkable! You know what I mean? no, I'm really keen to. Yeah, yeah, because like look the, into that the sure. blacker we get, the less, the freer we will be. No, hundred you know percent. I mean? And the easier it will be to like exist within a Western world. Hundred percent. Because that kid, that unemployed kid who mm. lives in his very limited bubble, um, you know, like that's still an English bubble, which is even more frustrating. Exactly. But there's an entire galaxy of Isipetla out there exactly. that already exists with one foot in and one foot out. It's called, like, you know, modern media. Mm. But now it's like, it's not just the sonic experience of Zulu. It's also the written experience. Hmm. It's a different experience. And, like, I'll show it to you. It's fucking mind-blowing. No, yeah. that's incredible. And, like, I, I think Wusiru, Aji Mochech, and the gang need to, like... Look in, yeah, for sure. Yeah, because I guarantee there will be a lot of stumbling blocks and a lot of shit will go wrong. But once it works, it's like, can you imagine if you went to China and all the words were written in English script? Yeah. <laughs> it would be, like, a weird... Like, have you ever read Chinese in the English written script? It's uh, weird. It doesn't make no, sense. I haven't really when you read yeah. it in Chinese, you're like, oh, okay, this makes sense. And you just carry on. Okay, you know? yeah. And, like, that's why I'm, like... Guys, we're getting something wrong here. Interesting. Right. Sure. Fix that and you'll fix a lot of underlying base infrastructure. Mm. Great what you're saying. Smooth, thanks so much for your time. Oh, no, this thanks so amazing. much. It's been awesome. I will let you know as soon as it's up. No, perfect. Thanks, <laughs> thanks so much. Bro. Awesome, bro. No, thank you.